Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hey everyone, my name is Eric Arno, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories Podcast. You might have noticed that this episode is a little different from usual, uh, starting with I'm breaking my normal introduction routine, because uh, just like last year, we thought we'd take the last uh, new release of 2013 to reflect back on some of the great stories we heard in the preceding 12 months. Actually, it's more like 13 months since there's like a month delay, but whatever. Um, you'll also hear new introductions from these stories recorded by some of the people who love them, so prepare to feel all warm and gooey inside. But before we get to the stories, as always, we'd like to start things off with a couple songs. Uh, first up is White Hassler and myself covering the Neon Tree song Animal from our 2012 annual episode. So think back to a year ago and remember when that song was a thing. Then we moved to a cover of a classic Arcade Fire song, none of this reflector stuff, uh, that also features Claire Friedman on backing vocals and the fantastic Sarah Schieber providing some much-needed viola. So enjoy, and then come on back for the stories.
lovers People trying to hide Underneath the covers Come on, hide your lovers Underneath the covers Come on, hide your lovers Underneath the covers Hiding from your brothers Underneath the covers Come on, hide your lovers Underneath the covers Shelby Mongan, you may remember her as the one of the departing, I don't know, cast members of your stories this year. Shelby left for the faraway land of Dayton. How is Dayton treating you, Shelby? Um, it's boring. It's boring. Cool. Is it? Uh, so you you would say you miss your stories a lot? Terribly. I look forward to the podcast every month, and uh, curse the fact that I've yet to time coming back. At the same time as your story. Okay, great. This interview's over. No, um, Shelby... <laughs> Shelby nominated um, Chris Crotwell's story with apologies to my ex-wife, which is interesting. It's obviously a great story, but also there's kind of a, a neat twist on that in that <laughs> you are Chris's current girlfriend, which I wonder, does that play into your... Uh, how you take the story versus how other people take it. So, uh, like, what, what stuck with you about that story? Well, when Chris and I, because we talk about our stories before your stories every month, and when he told me that that month was going to be a story about um, his ex-wife, I'm not going to say I didn't expect to like the story, but I didn't think it was going to be my favorite story he's ever told, which ironically it ended up being. Mm. Uh, what I love about the story and what I think is the most important about it is at your stories, all of the regulars tell their own particular kind of story, and the combination that they bring together is what makes the whole night so beautiful. And so what I think Chris does really well is a combination of funny anecdotes and professor-like tirades about how people should live their lives. And, <laughs> you know, if anyone can give a tirade, it is Christopher Crotwell. And so what I think is really amazing about that story is that he took an event that could have just been funny stories to talk about his ex-wife liking Blue's Clues and what not to wear and some terrible media. And instead, and without making fun of her or anyone, turned it into a really positive 
advice for people. I think the best testament to why the story is great is that I have heard it quoted in other people's stories more than once. Um, I know Mike Chuck talked about it. A couple people have mentioned it in stories, his advice. Um, and I think if that's not a lasting testament, what else is? For sure. Chris's stories have a way of sticking with people, uh, and I'm glad that... Uh, he showed up on this uh, year-end list for the second year in a row, so let's all enjoy his story. Uh, about just over three years ago, uh, I started a journey of self-discovery and growth, and that journey was catalyzed by a great American uh, coming-of-age ritual, our ceremony of separation, divorce. And this is an apology to my ex-wife. Um, from the age, uh, from being a very small child... Uh, I was let know, I was made to be aware that I was more intelligent than most people. And this like not something I just decided was true. Uh, various institutions, agencies sanctioned to make this a thing, testing organizations, they let you know. And they sit you down in a room and they say that you're special. And then you get a separate class in public school. You get gifted class. And... Uh, all of that encouragement can really fuck somebody up. <laughs> it really can. And where that factors into this story is, uh, I started reading Pitchfork in the sixth grade. Oh. Religiously. <laughs> like, religiously. I read those music reviews every day. Uh, and that was a point in time where I realized that the way that I felt about things and being critical about the other things that people liked could be really satisfying and interesting and give me an enormous power that not everyone had. And it's sort of a maniacal impulse at that age. And so that's the point at which I became an arbiter of taste. A gatekeeper of culture, if you will. I like the good things, goddammit, and they're better than the fucking things you like. And I know that because everyone told me I was smarter than you, so man. <laughs> So, if this sort of thing goes unchecked all the way through high school, like, what you're building is a monster, essentially. And then you, like, you start your first serious relationship. A person, a person with um, whom you will eventually agree, like, yes, we're going to spend all of the rest of our time together, we'll be married. But you know what, like, I don't know if you know this, but bad foundations at the very, very base of a marriage, um, sneering contempt awful. Don't bring that in with you. That's cancerous. Uh, and, and the desire to educate someone about what good things are. Look, like we're nerds, and one of the best things about being nerds is that there's this intersection between intelligence and passion that means that when we like things, we like them really well. We like things better than most people. But... And this is where I might run into a bone of contention. We do not like better things than people. So back up. We might like things better, but we don't like better things. But we think that we do. And when you come into a relationship and you meet someone, it's, I always say at this point in my life, I've learned so much, I've grown so much, because divorce is a really beautiful thing that really pushes people to become the people that they can be. I always say it's a, it's a, it's a partner, not a project. So that's one I picked up. You know, I fix people. They're just people. And uh, you're not a professor. You should be a partner. So shut the fuck up and listen every once in a while. Um, I realized uh, a couple years ago after the divorce that being an arbiter of taste was not something I wanted to be anymore. Uh, 
And even though I seem like a huge asshole in the story right now, and that's sort of the point, uh, keep in mind, if I described someone whose favorite bands were Black Eyed Peas and Hoobastank, and whose favorite two TV shows were like, the favorite things on TV were E-Red Carpet Interviews and, and like, Big Bang Theory, I don't mean to... Be too much, but if I say like if I start describing this man and I say like his favorite movie is Daredevil, but only the full screen version. <laughs> Not the way the full screen Daredevil is his favorite movie. You like you start to get antsy, and you see this person in your head, and you start to judge them. Don't act like you don't, and that's a bad impulse because you don't know shit about him. Like you don't know what he's like. We like things really well. Nerds like things really well. But when we decide that we don't like things, we are infuriating and nasty and impossible to deal with. <laughs> it is too much. Right? When it comes to like that educating thing, like you, you find somebody that you like, you enjoy, you like being around them, you enjoy their company. And then you realize that they haven't seen any of the Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> and it keeps you awake at night. <laughs> don't act like it doesn't. <laughs> But, but, like, here's a tip. Someone didn't start dating you to get an education in the things you fucking like. <laughs> they, don't, they don't give a shit what you like. They don't give a shit what you like. They like the things they fucking like. And one of the rudest things you can possibly say to someone is that they have bad taste. Because what you've done is you've minimized them as a person. You said the things that make them feel good don't matter. And you said that you're better. And living in a home with someone like that must be awful. <laughs> right? That can't be good. But it's so easy to do. You know? Like, we're all arbiters of taste in our own way. Like, these things are good things. These things are bad things. Too easily, we'll take the sum of a person's likes and dislikes and try to jarm up a picture of who they are in our heads. And that's not how it works doesn't really matter. The things that you like aren't better than things that other people like. And another thing that being an arbiter of taste does that's really awful for you is that it means the things you like end up in this bubble that just gets pushed around by what other people choose to like because you have the desire to be exceptional. It's about what you don't like, not what you do. It's an attitude specifically based on negativity. And when you let that negativity start to eat you up and you let it, like, that be the guiding force between the way that you deal with people, that sort of sneering contempt for the things that people enjoy, we do that pretty well too sometimes. And I know that I did it a lot. And I feel awful for that. Um, so, uh, in that spirit, Becky, you'll probably never hear this but. Um, though I have philosophical issues with it, it's fine to like what not to wear. It's fine. <laughs> That's totally fine. Clinton and Stacy are engaging, and I sort of like them too. <laughs> it's fine. Another thing that being so snooty will do to you is that you won't like things that you think you like. Like, you like things, but you're guilty about it. You're not allowed to like the things you want to like because they're not good things. So you feel bad about, like, That's stupid. To Becky, look... I might never like Christian Rock, and Reliant K is just not my bag, but I was such an asshole about that, and I'm super <laughs> sorry. That was, like, totally off base. I did not, I shouldn't have been so, so critical. 
Um, Blue's Clues wasn't written for your demographic necessarily, but it has a pleasant aesthetic, and I understand why you love it. It's fine. Like it's fine. It's totally okay. And and things like things that I wanted you, I, things that I wanted to make you like, like it doesn't matter that you never wanted to watch Indiana Jones. It doesn't make you a worse person. It's just. You know, it's disappointing, but whatever. I shouldn't have been so shitty about it. That's the that's the story. And all the other things, the bands I tried to force on you, the, like, how infuriating it must have been to have someone acting like they needed to tutor you in how to like things. Like, what a miserable way to have to be around a person all the time. I'm sorry. And, guys, we're really prone to doing that as a group of people. Try not to take that in your life with anybody. Let them like what they like. Like what you like. Don't push yourself on someone because that's not what they're fucking there for, you assholes. <laughs> so I'm here with uh, Kevin Reeder. Hello, hello, Eric. Hello, Kevin. Oh. So Kevin is one of the founding members and producers of Nerdalogs. You've heard him on the podcast sometimes, mostly probably laughing in back. Yep. But sometimes he tells stories. And uh, it's because of Kevin that we do this thing that we do. Uh, and Kevin nominated Chris Blake's story. I'm sorry, Professor Blake's story. Yes, Professor Blake. Thank from you. The, uh, from the games episode, uh, all about different types of people you play games with, which I also really enjoyed. Kevin, what stuck with you about that story? Well, I, you know, there's a lot of things that sort of stuck with me about the story, and, and it goes even beyond the story. It goes to, like, the night as well. Like, it's very rare do I miss one of the, your stories, um, and uh, so I wasn't able to be there, and you guys did an off-site thing at Cat and Mouse at a game store, and like all, just all parts of that, it's just it it creates a magical sort of environment already. Like at the base of it, it's like we're doing something in a different place. It's it's going to be a little bit weirder and a little bit more fun. And so I didn't even get to experience the story live. Um, but so that that's sort of the base level. But then um, Chris Blake is like one of the nicest. Uh, warmest, most loving people that I know, um, and I've known him for a long time. He's uh, in a sketch group, uh, Rabbit Rabbit, and we met him like you know, four or five years ago, something ridiculous. And so it was just so cool to to hear his voice, you know, uh, on on the podcast, and it really surprised me when when it came on, and it was a delight. Um, and he was just so ridiculous and kind of mean. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, and that was just very contrary to, uh, sort of who he is as a, as a person. Um, but he really also pegged every gamer type of player that, that there really is. So that was just really fun to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I like that story a lot too, because like people at your stories tend to be very like reflective and yeah. even modeling, which is great. Mm -hmm. Like it's great that people are so honest about, you know, kind of things that are heavy, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's, it just really knocks you in your ass when someone comes <laughs> in and does like a bit, yeah. you know, and they're just like, I'm going to make you laugh. And he did. Totally. And, uh, and I'm, and sometimes I miss that. I like, I love the, you know, the very earthy, uh, heartfelt stories that people always bring, um, but also at the core of what your stories can be is people sharing uh, comedic moments and, and sketches and the songs that they've written as well. So um, it's always so refreshing to have somebody come and do something like that for us. And with that said, enjoy the story. Thank you. Oh, I 
Sorry, I'm late. We're going to go ahead and get this started. Hello. Uh, they've gone ahead and called me down here from Northwestern. I am an adjunct. I am very, very pleased to be here. Uh, this is a very serious subject that we're going to go ahead and get a part of. Uh, as you all know, we all love playing games with one another. You go ahead and call your friends. You bring them up. Yes, it's great. You play with family. Whatever it is, you're going to play a game. However, you can look around the room here. You can pick that game that you want to play the most. However, you also have to pick the people you need to play with. Right? So without further ado, uh, Steven, my TA, let's go ahead and get him up here. Steven, come on up. Thank you. Thank you, Steven. That's right. And uh, ladies, uh, I don't have a rule against dating TAs, if you know what I mean. So, Steven. <laughs> all right, all right. So, that's the way. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the player's ha- playbook to, uh, to players you play games with, comma, ellipses, play on player. That's what we have here today. I am going to go with you every single archetype of person you are going to play a game with and how to best deal with that. First one. Pretty simple. You have your competitive ones. As you can see, they're the ones who are focused, deceptive, and strategic all at once. My goodness, they are not fun to play with. You're just looking to hang out with your buddies and just play a little game. I mean, if you're going to play Risk with them, the first continent they're going to go for is Asia. Every time. They're cocky, they're going to do it, and they're going to think they're going to take over everybody, all right? Favorite games include Risk, Settlers of Catan, any sport, really. Really, anything that they can beat you in. And, of course, if you look at the play-o-meter, this is the thing you want to go ahead and go with. They are a four, and I've done this scale out of five. So a four out of five, again, if you're down with it, great. If you're not, get them out of there. Let's move on. (laughs) Ah, the grudge holders, my goodness. How many times in risk have you taken over a country and you just watched somebody have steam? That's right, steam come right out of their ears. How many times have you broken that longest road streak? Many times. And that one person, that is the guy that you will have who puts all their energy into ruining your night. They will do whatever it takes to ruin you. Right here, they're angry, short fuse, probably won't call you for a week after a game night. That is the people you're dealing with. They will say expletives. I'm sorry, children, this is what they do. Usually they'll go for Europe. Why? Because that's the quickest way to spread. Wherever you are, they are in the center. They will find you. They will find you. (laughs) Favorite games include, uh, let's go ahead and we look at the expletive. Anything Todd will not be playing, they will be there. (laughs) Funnel meter, you got without Todd, a four. The very, very kind. With Todd, a one. Do not invite them with Todd. Ah, the, these are my favorites. They're just happy to be here. Huh? They're just happy you're invited. I'm right there. Excited, complimentary. Usually bring snacks. They usually bring snacks. <laughs> right here. Rich Cotton is the start with eeny, meeny, miny, that one because I'm just happy. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Their favorite games? What do you want to play? They don't care. <laughs> they don't give a shit. Five all the way, folks. Five all the way. Next we have The Oblivious. Good. Miss Gracious, if you are serious about gaming, do not invite these people, because they are just not going to care. They are apathetic, easily distracted, whatever else they are. They are not wanting to be their favorite game. Where are they going to start South America? They just do. They just do. They just do. Their favorite games include Facebook, Instagram, mind, ga- mind games with Becky, because that's all they're doing. They're texting Becky. Your turn, Steve. Oh, sorry. Let me go ahead and just tell Becky I'm with my friends. One, there are one. Dogs. They're fun. Dogs are fun. They, they are. That's what they are. They're just fun. Their favorite games are fetch, poker, smelling your crotch. They do a lot of that. Uh, there are five, but my dog, he went ahead in my chart. Isn't that right, Steven? Okay, Steven. <laughs> and finally, you've got the philosophers. Now, 
Okay, listen, uh, I work at a college and I have to deal with a lot of, uh, this is the games I play with, with other professors here, the, those who think life is more than just a game, it is, they compare it to life, that's all they want to do. So, goodness gracious, we've had a lot of very well-spoken philosophers here who have done a great job of comparing that, and I really appreciate that, but I'll tell you what, they can either be dip, uh, deep or pretentious, they can be intuitive or full of something else or they will they will psychoanalyze any move you make uh, look rich continents include I don't choose a continent the continent chooses me <laughs> this is what we're dealing with uh, their games are life mousetrap reenacting that one scene from the princess bride okay goodness gracious that's what they like to do uh, let's see funnel like Aaron Sorkin it's an acquired taste also who invited this guy I don't know what it is finally and most importantly you have you you are the person that you should always care about first and foremost. Ladies and gentlemen, if you look around here, you've got a lot of great people to play games with. And again, we have a lot of stresses in our life. We have a lot of things that really, really take precedent when they don't necessarily need to, but we do hold them up here on this pedestal. Sometimes we do just want to hang out with the people we love, the people we care about, and we want to just play a game with them. So, these archetypes here, pick the one that you want to be a part of. Get them there. If you don't want them there, don't invite them. It's that simple. Because life is too short... A game is a game. Enjoy it. Thank you very much. You all can go ahead and find me, all right? Come on down to Northwestern. So I'm here with Dwight Hassler. You probably know Dwight because he sings in almost all of your stories. There's been one or two he hasn't been there, but most of them. And Dwight never really talks at the events otherwise, so this is a rare treat. Uh, Dwight nominated Mary Z's uh, Plan B story. Dwight, why don't you tell us why that story stuck with you? Uh, well, I mean, it's it was... She got up there and she... I, I loved it because she got up there and she shared something that was uh, just very honest and personal and something that could... that people could potentially judge her by. Um, and she just gets up there and she nails it. And I think that... Um, one of the things that I, I, I love so much about it was that because of it being so honest and personal and, um, like, she knew that she could go up there and do that in front of us because she has a line in there where she says, that's why I love your stories. Um, it's perfect because she knows that we're going to get it. She knows that we won't judge her. She knows that we're going to love everything she says. And uh, we all did, and I'm happy this got nominated and put up. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's an awesome story. I uh, hope you guys enjoy Plan B. So one night, one late night during my last semester in college, I was having sex with my best guy friend. Because I'm a really good friend. <laughs> we hadn't always had a, a friends with benefits situation. Um, we'd been friends for years um, and just hung out all the time without any sort of, of, of sexual component. Um, but unfortunately, during my last semester in college, I uh, experienced a very sad and tragic death in the family, um, one of the worst things that's ever happened to me in my life. And it was very difficult um, and very emotional. And my best guy friend was there for me throughout the entire experience and just completely supported me. And I just thought, if his shoulder is good enough for me to cry on, 
<laughs> this audience is so smart, I don't even have to finish that joke. <laughs> And that's why I love your stories. <laughs> so, so this one night in particular, um, we finished the sex. Um, we completed the sex. <laughs> and... I was just like, yeah, like, this is so great. Like, I'm graduating in a couple months, and I've got this, like, awesome, like, fun and fancy-free situation going on. Don't kind of worry about, like, any emotional entanglements or any drama. It was great. And then, so he, he took the condom off, and instead of tossing it in the waste paper basket like a gentleman ought to, <laughs> he started looking at it. No. <laughs> I saw him looking at it, and I just thought to myself, oh my god, I can't believe he's checking out his cum right now. That is so weird! And then I noticed a look of concern on his face, and I thought, oh god, he is not checking out his cum. Oh no. And he looked at me and he said, Mary, it's broken. And I was like, <laughs> and we both completely started freaking out because neither of us had been in this situation. I mean, my Bible camp purity retreats had not prepared me for a situation like this before. <laughs> I did not know what to do. And we were like both freaking out. And he was like, uh, 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 Mary, don't worry. Uh, uh, I had some time on my hands today. Uh, so uh, there wasn't much loaded in the chamber, if you know what I'm saying. I'm like, this is not the time to talk about this. <laughs> And so we were both freaking out, but we calmed down, and we did what all college students do when they need to know the answer to something, and we looked it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> and we're like, okay, cool, cool, okay. There's, there's a Plan B pill, okay? And we can get it at Planned Parenthood for free. High five, bonus! What is up? We cured this sticky situation, awesome. And we were like so relieved, okay, we know, we know what we're going to do. Until we realized that Planned Parenthood was closed the next day. Because Planned Parenthood is closed on Sundays. Which is total bullshit. <laughs> Out of all the days that Planned Parenthood should be open. Sunday morning is the day. <laughs> Morning is the titular 
morning after in the morning after pill. I'm just talking statistics here, okay? Sorry, I've had whiskey. Statistics. No one is making drunken mistakes during office hours, okay? So we were like, okay, what do we do? And we're like, okay, cool. We can we can still get the Plan B pill at CVS for fifty bucks. It's dumb. But we were like, okay, okay, we we can still get it. Everything's gonna be fine. And we were so relieved that that we had handled the situation perfectly. We'd done it, and everything was gonna be okay. And then a moment of a little bit of silence kind of fell over us and we realized the gravity of the situation that this fun and fancy free friends with benefits situation was actually something that had real emotional and physical consequences and that we were never ever going to be the same again And we never were. And it was also, at that moment, I realized I still wasn't wearing clothes. (laughs) Thank you guys very much. So I'm here with uh, Mary Beth Smith. Mary Beth also in the Nerdalogs. She also hosts her own podcast, MBSing, with Mary Beth Smith. Uh, if you didn't know, her name is Mary Beth Smith. <laughs> Say hi, Mary Beth Smith. Hi, Mary Beth Smith. Thank That's you. That's what you wanted me to do. It is exactly what I wanted to do. So uh, Mary Beth nominated Allison's story about her dad in Star Trek, which I'm really glad got nominated because that was part of one of my favorite nights of your stories. And I tried and tried for a long time to make this episode just be three stories from that night and it, it couldn't work oh, no. but uh i'm really glad that that story made it out so why don't you talk about why why that resonated with you uh that's really funny that you touched on that because that was absolutely a big thing that i liked about it but uh first of all uh i really loved uh allison's story started as this really sweet nod to her dad and to uh star trek in general um and i can i think uh, you know, I can relate specifically to trying to like things because my dad liked them. And, uh, and then, you know, it got really sincere and serious, uh, with, you know, her dad's health. And, uh, you know, I went from, uh, laughing and the story really being endearing to like tearing up and, uh, and really, you know, um, appreciating her opening up in, in such a like vulnerable way about her fear about, uh, um, how she felt about her dad. And, uh, and then, like you said, it, it really started this wave of, um, what happened for the rest of the night with Lauren's story and with yours. And I thought that was really telling of the power of the story was that it inspired other storytellers to open up as well. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, it's something you can't really replicate on the podcast is sometimes how organic the nights yeah. end up becoming. And that's, that's very cool. Uh, side note, so right before I recorded this with Mary Beth, we were talking about improvised Star Trek and the Klingon Christmas Carol. I feel like we're going to make a Star Trek fan of uh, it, Honestly, with all this stuff, I, I basically bookended my Christmas with Klingon Christmas Carol and improvised Star Trek and loved both of them so much. 
that I you may very well be right. Now you just need to watch some extra. We'll be be on that road. All right, thanks very much. No problem. Uh, So Alex and I saw uh, Star Trek Into Darkness on uh, Friday, uh, which I realize I've been saying in my head, Star Trek Heart of Darkness. (laughs) Very different movie. They go to Africa and there's a lot of uncomfortable racism. Probably more Cisco. Um, but, um, but the first thing I thought when uh, I saw it was just like, I bet my dad really liked this movie. Um, because my dad and I uh, both really love Star Trek. Um, Next Gen is our personal favorites, um, but you know, we appreciate the other um, series as well. But my dad and I have had a really interesting um, life together. Do you guys remember um, in Calvin and Hobbes when there was this one time like Calvin's dad punished him and Hobbes and they decided to start their own comic strip called Dopey Dad? <laughs> my dad is definitely a Dopey Dad candidate. Um, he's just a pretty big dork. Um, he's a huge uh, bluegrass and folk uh, music uh, aficionado. He owns like 15 or 16 different instruments, and really great. Um, he's a really great guy, but uh, super dopey. And um, unfortunately for him, uh, he wanted one son. Uh, <laughs> he got five daughters. <laughs> so I'm, I'm the youngest of, of five girls, and, um, you know, like, a lot of guys, like, when their babies are born or whatever, they go out and, like, buy cigars, or they buy a nice bracelet for their wife, which I've recently learned is called a push present, which is such a gross term. Um, But my dad bought himself a vasectomy. Uh, um, So uh, so once I found out that my dad had really, like, just wanted a a boy, um, I decided it was going to be, like, my personal project to be the son he never had. And I was going to be, like, a really good son. Um, so we, like, played catch together, and he tried to teach me how to fix cars. Most of that didn't stick very well, including the catching of things. <laughs> but, uh, but something we really bonded over was watching Star Trek Next Generation together, um, which, like, no one else in my family really liked. I am amazed because my sisters are super nerdy people at the heart of it all. Um, but they're they're not as into like sci-fi fantasy as I would expect. Um, so my dad watched Star Trek, and uh, we weren't really allowed to watch TV when I was a kid. But I think my mom saw like my desperate attempts to bond with my father, and was like, "Oh, all right, whatever." So we would watch Star Trek together, and um, we watched Alien Autopsy together. <laughs> but, but I really, like, we both just loved the concept of Next Gen. Like, we, we both really connected with Picard, and I was in love with Jonathan Frakes. Um, and my dad was actually the person who had to break the news to me that I was not going to be able to grow a beard. Um, <laughs> I, as precocious of a child as I was, I didn't get that, um, that girls didn't really do that um so it was a difficult conversation but he handled it well Um, but then like kind of as as the years went on um and we kind of grew further apart my parents got divorced uh, when I was in sixth grade the sixth grade sorry um 
we still would like to talk about Star Trek a lot and about the ideas behind the Star Trek universe and like the concept of striking out and finding your own path, but but doing it with people who are like-minded individuals and um, and we started like kind of sharing other like secret nerd things that we liked with each other. Um, unbeknownst to my mom, my dad had installed Doom Two on our first family word processor. And unbeknownst to my dad, I cracked his password. Um, so he didn't know this, but it was another special thing that we shared that we both surreptitiously played Doom 2. <laughs> and then as, as I got older and was more of an, into my adult years, uh, he introduced me to Doctor Who, and I introduced him to Firefly, and then eventually like the whole Whedon-verse. Um, and it was like a cool kind of special thing that I got to share with him. Um, that none of my other sisters really have with him. And uh, I've always kind of treasured that. And, like, I look at Star Trek Next Generation very fondly and Star Trek in general as, like, a great way for me and my dad to bond as father and son. Um, And now, uh, about a week and a half ago, um, my dad was diagnosed with um, posterior cortical atrophy, which means that his brain is shrinking which is a very difficult physical concept to wrap my mind around. Um, but it, it's uh, probably caused by Alzheimer's. That's like the most common cause of PCA. I did a lot of research after I found out about it. And, um, you know, like most people do, I went to WebMD immediately <laughs> and immediately freaked the shit out. Um, but it's, it's similar to Alzheimer's, um, but it affects the area of brain um, that deals with vision. So... Um, he's going to go blind and um, stop recognizing faces be- before he goes blind. Um, but then eventually he's probably going to have most of the other markers of Alzheimer's, like um, memory loss and you know irritability and frustration. And um, So I get to see him next weekend, which is great because we're getting married. And I'm really happy that um, this is a slow kind of disease. So... Um, I'm glad that we get to share like this big important event together, and that I'm still going to have some like really good years with him. Um, and then they're going to get harder, and that's going to be challenging. Um, but what I'm really still happy about is that like even in like ten years, if he doesn't know who I am anymore, um, and we can't really bond as like father and daughter necessarily, we can still just be Star Trek fans together (laughs) and that can still be our special thing that we share and uh, even if he doesn't know that we've always shared it, it can still be like a new kind of journey that we take together Okay, so for our last couple stories of the podcast we're doing something a little different because when people nominated their favorite stories from the year something kept coming up, which I'm glad it did was... uh, and in the uh, February podcast, uh, which was New Beginnings, we had two stories that kind of intertwined and played off of each other and, and made this cool organic thing that was super great. Uh, and that was Shelby and Lauren's stories about their houses. And so I thought, well, instead of asking one person to talk about one of the stories, another person, you know, etc., I have both of them here to talk <laughs> about each other's stories. Uh, and maybe reflect on that a little bit and what it means and, you know, all that dumb stuff that we do in your stories all the time. So, Shelby, Lauren, why don't you guys chat for a second? How do you, how do you feel about your stories, like, a year later and about that night in general and all that good stuff? 
Uh, to this day, it's one of the most important memories I have from your stories, and it's one of, to, it's one of the most like your stories is one of the most important things to me. But that night, to this day, is one of the most important nights, and I think we didn't like we didn't plan to have similar stories. It completely happened that our similar our stories hit parallel lines so well, and. I know for me, my story was hard to tell but important. It had a lot of emotion, and I really am proud of that story. But then, when you got up and mentioned that it was similar, and then started telling your story, like I felt flooded with both emotions about what you were telling and remembering what I was talking about, and a lot of similarities. And it was just like what a beautiful testament to storytelling that we had something so similar, so different but so similar that maybe we would have never talked about, like in at a bar or over dinner or whatever. Yeah, it seemed like the entire situation seemed really serendipitous, mm-hmm. especially for me because it was uh, something that was really weighing on my mind and on my heart. And then I heard the topic, and I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy that I would have this opportunity. Um, and I don't tell stories a, a super a lot, and especially at that time, I hadn't yet told a story that I had written mm-hmm. beforehand. So it seemed kind of like an opportunity to do that that was crazy, you know, that that would even happen, uh, especially because at that time, like, I was away from theater, and I was just, like, really nervous to tell um, mm-hmm. stories about myself. So I did, and when I was there, I heard your story because you went first. And it seemed pretty serendipitous <laughs> that that, cre- that that you know, perfect storm would happen, that I was feeling really heavy-hearted about this situation, and then this topic came up and gave me an opportunity, and then not only that, that you went up and you told a story that was really similar. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was... Thinking about telling that story, one of the things that held me back was this idea that no one would understand. Mm-hmm. Because uh, for me, losing my first house at the age of like twenty, what twenty seven? Oh, uh, was kind of <laughs> was really kind of hard for people to connect to. Because whenever I would kind of mention it offhand, it was like, oh yeah, that happened to me when I was a little kid, or we moved around a lot, anyways. So it was really crazy and really heartwarming to hear that somebody else, you know, akin to my age and Mm -hmm. was going through something similar. Yeah. And I I don't know if this will end up on the podcast or not, but I think the best part was at the end that you did a toast to all of our former houses. And I think that was a cool way not only to round out the connection between what we had talked about, but to remind others of their similarities and their abilities to connect to that story and to really sort of unite that group at the end with all this emotion that, because both of our stories were really emotional, and I think at the end to unite everyone through that awesome sort of joyous toast to the places that we used to live, it was I I can't even believe it, and that was the first night in the public house theater, which was like your first story, first night in the public house, it was was too perfect of a night. It was a weird mishmash of old homes and new homes and old traditions and new traditions and it was pretty great, and I believe there's a picture of the toast on Facebook that I will put with the podcast. So, yes. Yeah, guys, thanks for chatting about this. I, uh, I'm really psyched to share these two stories back to back. They were split up originally. Now you will hear them together for the first time. <laughs> so please enjoy and uh, keep listening to your stories. So do you guys remember Devil Sticks? Um, it was this toy when I was a kid, and they've been around for a little while. It's two sticks you hold in your hand, and then there's another longer stick, and you like flip it around. I'm sure people that smoke a lot of weed did it. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Um, but they were really popular when I was a kid and I had a set and, um, I was horrible, but I loved them. And one day my grandfather dropped one of the sticks that you hold underneath our porch. 
And it's really hard to use devil sticks when you only have one. Um, and I remember being slightly devastated. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that missing devil stick lately um, because I've been thinking a lot about the house that it's stuck underneath. I grew up at 1644 Shadyside Drive in Edgewater, Maryland, just minutes away from the Naval Academy in Annapolis, um, with my mom and my dad in a house that was probably meant to be a, a beach house, not a full-time house. Um, it was pretty small, but uh, I loved that house. I lived across the street from my best friend. Uh, that was the house that I learned how to ride my bike out front of. I graduated from high school when I lived in that house. Uh, I had birthday parties in the backyard. That was my house. Um, it was my home base. No matter what, no matter what happened, even when my parents got separated when I was six and divorced when I was ten, that house stayed in our family. They kept it for me so that I had a home base. And so that was my house until my sophomore year of college. And I was working at a summer camp in Arizona. I was up on a mountain, and it was the happiest I had been in a long time. And I got a call from my dad, um, and he said that, the house had been foreclosed on and that it wasn't our house anymore. And for those of you that heard the sports story I told about my dad, he and I are very close. He's one of my best friends. But I can't be unrealistic and pretend that my dad isn't kind of a giant man-child. Um, and while a lovely human being is not very responsible with money, nor is he very responsible with responsibilities. <laughs> And because of that, um, the house had already been physically in shambles, and then we financially kind of saw it crumble and lost the house. Um, and I was sad at first, but I kind of it, it didn't really affect me too much. And I got home from camp that summer, and I helped pack up the last of my stuff and moved out of that house. And I left to go back to Chicago, back to school, um, and I didn't really think about it. And it didn't really affect me or bother me. Um, but I always kind of thought about it, and I wanted to go back and see the house, but I kept putting it off and putting it off. Until this year when I went home for Christmas. Um, and under the guise of an errand, I drove out to Edgewater. I lived about 20 minutes away to go see this old house. Um, and the way that it works um, to get into my neighborhood is you, you pass my old middle school, and you take a bend and another bend, and then you go over a bridge over the river. And the minute that I hit that bridge, I started to sob. And I didn't know why. And for those of you who are also criers... Um, you know that feeling of like, okay, I'm crying. I'm not sure where this is coming from. You're wiping it so you can see and not crash in other cars and trying to figure out the origin of the tears. Um, and I, I st I'm not quite sure why, if they were happy, if it was reminiscent, and if it was sad. I think part of it was um, the shock of somewhere that used to be so familiar to me uh, feeling so foreign and so different. But I finally pulled up to my house, still sobbing like an idiot, um, and parked my car, and ignoring the no trespassing sign that was underneath the foreclosed sign, I opened the gate, and I walked down the sidewalk that I once danced on in my bathing suit when it was raining, because I thought it would be fun. Um, and I stepped over the caution tape onto that porch. Um, and it was still my old house, but it looked awful. My house looked horrible. The inside was stripped, and there was a giant hole in the front wall of the house, and it was so depressing to see it, but it was still my house. There was still the holly tree in the side yard and that um, used to stab me in the feet when I ran around in my yard. And um, I went around the back, and there was a big puddle of water where the in-ground or the above-ground pool used to be, which was a sad thing for a child to have in general. Um, and I was at this house, and I was crying, and I was laughing, and I was thinking about 
all the different things that had happened while I was there. And it was so sad to have lost that place. But above the no trespassing sign, above the foreclosure sign, was a sign describing the house that was going to be built there. And it was going to have two stories and I think four or five bedrooms and a garage and a basement. It was going to be this fantastic house um, in a neighborhood that was actually getting better from when I was a kid. And I was so excited for this family that was going to get to come and live in this house. Someone was going to get to have this kick-ass house in this cool neighborhood and live on this place that I loved. Um, and so if I felt a lot of closure there. Um, I felt like the house was getting a new beginning. Someone take a drink. <laughs> take a drink. <laughs> um, but just like when I graduated from my high school and I moved out here to Chicago for a brand new beginning, the house was getting that same kind of beginning. But luckily, somewhere buried underneath the foundations of that house, where a porch used to be, is a single devil stick. <laughs> a little piece of me still buried underneath that house, still a piece of me there, and there's a piece of that house in me still. And so, yes, it's sad, and yes, I've said goodbye, but the new beginning taught me that you can move on without completely letting go. Thank you. I hate change. Some people like it or strive to find change. I hate change. And I learned this when I was six very old. Uh, when at my birthday party, I threw a tantrum because uh, my cake had six candles instead of five. <laughs> May have been a little early for a midlife crisis, um, but it scared the crap out of me because I would never be five again. Um, and in a way, that moment defined me, and it still does. Because when I find change, I bottle it up until I just can't hold it anymore. And I pop out like some sort of demented firework, exactly like the six-year-old self I was. Um, as I grew older, I learned that society wouldn't accept my tantrums anymore, at least not in that format. Um, so I learned a little bit of decorum. And I found that panic attacks in the most convenient bathroom stall was fine. Um, you know, keeping it classy. Um, even now, as I'm some sort of an adult, I continue to follow this pattern. Um, luckily, I've kind of put a cap on those kind of huge panic attacks. Um, but at this point, I, when I come against something that scares me, that's new, uh, that hurts me, I just don't talk about it and leave it bottled up, uh, which leads me to this week and new beginnings. Um, my mom is moving out of the house I grew up in. Uh, and I kind of felt really bad about this first world problem until Shelby told her story. Um, I've talked to my friends about this at work um, and at rehearsals, and everyone's like, yeah, that kind of happened to me when I was way younger. And I'm 26 and still kind of battling this issue. Um, it's made me not really want to talk about it because I kind of feel like it's a sad issue to have. Um, and I've just kind of let it bottle up because I don't want to talk about it. I'm really afraid of losing the space that had so many new beginnings. Um, new steps, new love, new tears. 
But I guess what scares me the most is that every time I think about it, um, I see myself that same six-year-old self, still crying because she wasn't allowed to be five anymore. Um, and I wonder how I can be brave enough to move forward if I'm always afraid of losing what I left behind. What if I can never grow past that? But either way, here I am, talking about it. Um, and reminded of so many coming-of-age stories that was told in a space that's now our past. Lots of friends, marriages, family members, virginity, all met primarily with fear. The same fear I feel today that I felt when I was six. And maybe it's not the shared fear that makes us weak. Maybe we'd be crazy not to feel this way. Maybe the brave in all of it comes from the ability to move forward while paying homage to the past. So that's what I'd like to do today and say goodbye to my home. Can you raise your drink, please? Shelby, can you come here? (laughs) I have water. Best drink of all. Thank you for... Thank you for keeping our family safe, for housing us through laughter and tears, for keeping us upright when we fell, and always keeping our secrets. We'll miss you, but we know that you'll mean the world to the next family. Cheers. 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 We cry. All right, guys, we come to the end of our look back on the past year of stories. I hope you've enjoyed everything you've heard. Uh, of course, there was a ton of great stuff that got left out, and I want to thank all the people who shared the stories, songs, bits, and just their time with us, because we literally could not do this without you. Uh, we're going to close out with one of the more emotional songs we played. This is from Departing Neurologs member Alex Talavera's Goodbye episode, and it seemed like a sweet and appropriate way to go out. So thanks very much for listening, and we will see you in 2014!
do you think you can tell? Did they get you to trade your heroes for ghosts? Hot ashes for trees. Hot air for a cool breeze. Cold comfort for change. Did you wish it? Walk on part in the wall. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.